0: This podcast contains violence, adult themes, and material that may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised.
1: True Nor True Crime is produced on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and tsleil nations. You're always haunted by the idea you're wasting your life, is the quote that sits at the top of the young woman's Tumblr blog. Throughout her online history are poetic and sometimes emotionally raw posts from a young woman trying to find her place in the world. In January of 2013, she optimistically set out on a trip to find new experiences. Her life would tragically be cut short on the rooftop of a hotel in downtown Los Angeles. As more evidence was revealed, more questions were asked. This is the mysterious death of Elisa Lamb, and this is True North True Crime.
0: Welcome to episode 17 of true north true crime. We want to start off the episode by thanking everyone who has given us those five star ratings and reviews on Apple podcasts or hit follow on Spotify. That really helps us with the visibility of our podcast.
1: Yeah, as most of you know, we're just a small independently financed podcast. So any help getting the word out about this podcast in the very busy true crime podcast world uh, really helps. Having said that, we actually want to announce that we have passed 100,000 downloads. Yay! Yeah, and honestly, it means the world to us that you choose to tune in. We hope we can continue to tell victim stories and help families to find their missing loved ones.
0: We want to say thank you to Alyssa Santos, Melanie E., Sandra, and Anastasia, or Anastasia, however you prefer to pronounce your name, for buying us some coffees this week. We honestly appreciate you and we thank you very, very much.
1: Yeah, we're drinking those coffees right now.
0: Yeah, cheers. If you would like to buy us a coffee for an upcoming episode, please go to buy me a coffee slash TNTC pod.
1: Yeah, your donation can be a one-time thing, or you can choose the $5 month uh, per month membership. Alyssa and Anastasia or Anastasia chose the membership option and now are honorary producers of True Nor True Crime. And their name will be announced at the end of every episode, along with our other producers.
0: If you can't donate, but you want to help the podcast, please simply tell a friend about True North True Crime.
1: So tonight we're going to be talking about the suspicious death of Elisa Lamb, a 21-year-old Vancouver woman who was found dead in a water tank on the roof of the Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles.
0: So as I'm sure many of you know, Elisa's story has been widely covered in mainstream media, actually to the point where we considered not doing this case because so many podcasts have done it, but we both really were interested in this case when it happened because Elisa is from Vancouver, where we are also from, um, and it's also been all over the internet. Her death has spurred many conspiracy theories and all kinds of otherworldly speculation.
1: Yeah, her story will soon be featured in a Netflix special scheduled for release on February 10th, 2021. Now, we realize we don't have the same power, money, and access of a Netflix documentary, but we felt it was important to cover this story.
0: The big reason that we wanted to cover her story is to humanize Elisa. She was a daughter, a sister, a student, and a friend whose life ended way too short.
1: Yeah, and we feel that with all the online speculation, it's easy for people to lose sight of that.
0: We also wanted to present a fact-based interpretation of Elisa. What happened at the Cecil Hotel, the investigation, and the aftermath. So let's start by talking a little bit about Elisa Lam as a person.
1: Elisa Lam was born in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, to her parents David and Yina Lam on April 30th, 1991. Elisa also has a sister. Elisa would sometimes go by her Cantonese name, Lam Ho Yi. It would appear that Elisa had a pretty normal, middle-class upbringing in an area of Vancouver known as Burnaby. She would excel in high school and eventually get accepted to study at the University of British Columbia. While going to school, she worked a retail job. Aside from that, it seemed like she was a pretty big Harry Potter fan.
0: Elisa was diagnosed with and living with bipolar disorder. It's unclear if she was living with bipolar 1 or bipolar 2. However, both of these designations are characterized by periods of manic behavior followed by bouts of depression. The length and severity of these manic or depressive episodes are different for each individual.
1: Her studies and her relationships were sometimes challenged by her mental health. In the years prior to her death, Lam was an avid blogger. She had a blogspot named Etherfields before switching over to a Tumblr named Nouvelle Nouveau. Her blog consisted of fashion images mixed with quotes and passages about her struggles with mental health and the goings-on in her life. Sometimes she would post about insomnia, other times she would post about sleeping for days on end.
0: Near the end of 2012, it seems that Elisa was going through a breakup and dealing with the emotional fallout of that. In December of 2012, Elisa took a trip to Ontario and visited Ottawa and Toronto. She posted about staying in a hostel in Toronto.
1: In January of 2013, Elisa was not registered for any classes at the University of British Columbia. Around this time, she decided that she wanted to take a solo trip to California.
0: On January 13th, 2013, Elisa posted to her Tumblr that she was planning a trip. Quote, Planning, planning, planning for the West Coast tour. Sigh. Turns out I won't be making as many stops as I'd like. Vancouver? San Diego, Los Angeles, Santa Cruz, and San Francisco. I really want to stop by San Luis Obispo, but alas, we'll see. Suggestions and meetups still highly appreciated.
1: Her parents protested at first, but Elisa explained the virtues of the trip, and she also made an agreement to keep in contact with her family while she traveled. Her parents eventually approved of the trip.
0: On January 22nd, Elisa had a small going-away party with friends and family before she embarked on her first solo adventure.
1: Her Tumblr post reads, I had a catch-up reunion with high school, elementary people, and a sort of bon voyage soiree. And I'm fatigued, exhausted, in recovery for throwing it. And just seeing so many people and doing so many stupid, idiotic things over the last four days. But I'm so very full of... I suppose the term would be, as Dumbledore says, love. Because last night was evidence that I do have amazing, beautiful things in my life. And even though everyone is is so busy and going off and doing great things, they do care about me. I'm not a professional depressed person. I'm so much more than that. And these people are my reminders that I'm very lucky. Life is long and difficult, and people will always be stupid and complain. But it's worth it. So long as you have special moments. There will be lots of these moments in the future, and there have been a lot of them in the past. So what if everything is shit and all the plans have gone to hell? If I ask for help, someone might even be willing to spare that hand. Thank you, friends, family, and Tumblr. The world is just awesome. Boom-da-da-da. Elisa would
0: embark on her trip the next day. On January 23rd, she posted that she had missed her connecting flight, presumably to San Diego, and that she would just sleep in the airport. And then she references Tom Hanks in the movie The Terminal. Aside from her missing her flight, the first leg of her trip went well. She arrived in San Diego, took in the San Diego Zoo, enjoyed some cheap meals, and took in the sights and scenery of San Diego.
1: Like she said she would do, Elisa stayed in touch with her family. For the rest of her trip north to San Francisco, Elisa was using Amtrak and city buses to get around.
0: On January 26, 2013, Elisa made her way to Los Angeles. When she arrived, she checked into the notorious Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles.
1: We're not super clear if she knew the history of this hotel or if she just chose it based on its cheap rates and its downtown location. And it's about... Um, a 10-minute drive or a 30-minute walk from both the Amtrak and the Greyhound station.
0: So at this point, we definitely need to talk about the dark history of the
1: Cecil Hotel. The Cecil Hotel, which is also known as the Stay on Main, is a historic hotel located at 640 South Main Street in downtown Los Angeles. The Cecil Hotel opened its doors in 1927. It has been plagued with unfortunate and mysterious circumstances that have given it an unparalleled reputation for the macabre. At least 16 different murders, suicides, and unexplained paranormal events have taken place at the hotel, and it's even served as the temporary home of some of America's most notorious serial killers.
0: The hotel was supposed to be a destination hotel for international businessmen and social elites. The 700-room, beau-arts-style hotel, complete with a marble lobby, stained-glass windows, palm trees, and an opulent staircase. However, just two years after the Cecil Hotel opened, the U.S. was thrown into the Great Depression, and Los Angeles was hit hard by the economic collapse. Soon enough, the area surrounding the Cecil Hotel would be dubbed Skid Row and become home to thousands of homeless people. This continues to this day.
1: In the 1930s, the Cecil Hotel was home to at least six reported suicides. Things would continue to get grisly at the hotel in the 1940s. A 19-year-old woman gave birth to a baby in the middle of the night. She did not realize she was pregnant. Thinking that the baby was stillborn, she threw it out of one of the hotel windows. In
0: 1962, a 65-year-old man was walking by the Cecil with his hands in his pockets when he was struck to death by a falling woman. The 27-year-old woman jumped from her ninth-floor window. Her fall killed both her and the man on the sidewalk
1: instantly. The hotel also had a connection to some of the United States' most famous serial killers.
0: In 1947, Elizabeth Short, or the Black Dahlia victim, stayed at the Cecil.
1: In the 1980s, Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, stayed at the hotel for long periods of time, paying just $14 a night. Then, in the 1990s, Austrian serial killer Jack Unterwager also called the hotel home. Rumor has it that he chose the hotel because of its connection to Ramirez and due to its proximity to vulnerable sex workers. There have also been several unsolved murders, as well as stories of hauntings and paranormal activity and ghost sightings.
0: In 2011, the Cecil Hotel rebranded itself as the Stay on Main Hotel and Hostel, a $75 per night budget hotel for tourists. The hope was to make it a hip boutique-style hotel,
1: However, a city ordinance thwarted those plans, requiring the building designated as a residential hotel to reserve half of its units for low-income tenants. The hotel has historically served as homes for the elderly and disabled and very low-income people. The hotel would still serve tourists, offering rooms that would include classic single-occupancy hotel rooms as well as hostel-style dorm rooms that you share with strangers.
0: So, Elisa checked into the Cecil Hotel on January 26th and opted to be in a dorm style room on the fourth floor of the hotel. Three days into her stay at the Cecil, Elisa was moved from the hostel style hotel room to a private one on the same floor after her roommates complained of odd behavior. Unfortunately, like most things in this case, the odd behavior was never detailed.
1: Yeah, and those roommates haven't been publicly interviewed. Mm -hmm. Most of Elisa's online posts during that time were lighthearted. On January 27th, Elisa would post that she was, quote, going out tonight, really hope no creeper comes near me. Uh, Then later, she would post that she went to a bar called The Speakeasy and that it was awesome, however she had lost her phone.
0: On January 29th, she would post three more times, Two of those posts were a little darker. The first post was, I wish I could put part of my brain into a tape-shut box and shove it to the back of my closet for the night. Now, it it is worth saying that this was actually a reblog of somebody else's words. She actually did not write this post. Uh, But this was followed by, My laptop is brighter than my future. And then that was followed up by a lighthearted post about Los Angeles architecture. So I just want to circle back really quickly about that post that she said, I really hope no creeper comes near me. Now this is, as a woman, I understand there is some worry in the back of your head when you go out for the night that you're going to have to, you know, f- fend off guys that are trying to talk to you and stuff like that. I understand that. But this is a little bit of a weird post considering where this case is going and we'll get more into that obviously as the, as the episode goes on. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I've seen it speculated that maybe she was being stalked by someone, but I nothing else in what I've uncovered um, points to that. Mm-hmm. It just seems like a lighthearted, like, oh, I'm going to the bar tonight, hope I don't have to fend off creepers, mm-hmm. not, oh my God, I'm being stalked by a very specific person.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah.
1: On January 31st, Elisa was seen walking through the lobby of the hotel alone. Elisa was scheduled to check out of the hotel that day. A nearby bookstore
0: owner named Katie Orfin recalled seeing Elisa at her store that day. She states that Elisa was buying books and music for her family back in Vancouver. She would also state that Elisa was outgoing, very lively, very friendly. She also recalled that at one point Elisa was debating buying a particular book because she felt it might be too heavy to lug around on the rest of her travels.
1: We should also mention here that the bookstore is actually called The Last Bookstore, and it's just another one of those strange um, coincidences that occur throughout this story.
0: Yeah, and this was also the last place that Elisa would be seen alive, at least in person. So on January 31st, like we said, Elisa was expected to check out of her room and continue her travels to Santa Cruz and then off to San Francisco but Elisa never checked out. Elisa also did not call her family on January 31st.
1: After multiple failed attempts to call Elisa, the Lamb family would call the Los Angeles Police Department and report Elisa as a missing person. The Lamb family would quickly get on a flight from Vancouver to Los Angeles to help with the search. The LAPD would go to the Cecil Hotel and search her room as well as common areas. It's reported that they used dogs in the search. They did not do a room-to-room search as they would have required specific search warrants for that.
0: They did not find any trace of Elisa Lamb. On February 6, 2013, LAPD would issue a press release asking for the public's help in finding Elisa. That would be followed up on February 7th with a press conference. At that press conference, they would state that her disappearance is being treated as suspicious because she has no history of this kind of behavior. They would also state that homicide and robbery investigators are in the process of going through surveillance footage at the hotel and monitoring whether her debit and credit cards have been used.
1: They also made it clear that the LAPD was coordinating its investigation with Interpol and the Canadian RCMP. On February 13th, 2013, so this is now just about two weeks after she went missing, The LAPD released a surveillance video taken from inside the elevator of the Cecil Hotel. Elisa is seen in the video. The video shocked the world and has spawned endless conspiracy theories. It has amassed millions of views as the internet sleuths analyze every detail of the footage. If you have not seen this footage, it is really unsettling.
0: So we viewed the 2 minute and 57 second video clip. and We will do our best to describe it to you now. The video is recorded from inside of the elevator with the camera situated at the top left side of the frame.
1: Okay, so the elevator door is on the left side of the frame and it's closed, and the button panel is on the right side of the frame. The door opens and Elisa walks into the elevator quickly. She comes from the left side of the frame and she's wearing shorts, a long sleeve hoodie with a zip up in the front, and Birkenstocks type slides. She's not wearing her glasses. She walks directly towards the button panel, crouches down, and begins pressing several buttons from the top to the bottom in order, like in a straight line. She then jumps back and stands in the back right corner of the elevator, almost making herself skinny against the corner as she stares out the open door. The door does not close. She then takes a giant step forward and looks out the door down the hallway to the right of frame she then jumps back in and shimmies against the right side wall until she is standing in the corner beside the button panel the door still does not close
0: so we're now 30 seconds into the video the elevator door Has never closed. So this is obviously incredibly weird. An elevator door does not stay open for that long. Usually an alarm will go off if the door has been open that long. So at this point she looks again outside the door to the right. She keeps looking down the hallway to the right. She stands in the frame of the elevator door. Her hands are clasped together in cradle style in front of her. She then looks down the hall to her left this time And hops out, landing on two feet. So she literally, like, jumps off of her two feet, landing on her two feet. Yeah, like a bunny hop. It's very strange. All of this is strange. She then steps back into the elevator and then back out again. She stands just to the left of the elevator door. And you can just see her in the edge of the frame. She's almost out of view at this point. The door has still not closed. At this point, you can start to see her right arm. So it's her right edge of her body that you can see and you can start to see her right arm making gestures, vague gestures, like it doesn't really
1: make any sense. So she comes back into the elevator, but she braces herself with both hands on either side of the door frame, and then she goes back to the button panel and starts pressing buttons again. She leaves the elevator again and stands to the left of the elevator. She is facing to the right and seems to be yelling or talking to someone down the hallway. Now she begins gesturing her hands and arms, almost as if she's mimicking water or wind or conducting music. She also begins to seemingly count numbers with her fingers. She now leaves the frame to the left and is gone. The door is still open.
0: So after about 10 to 15 seconds after Elisa has left, the elevator door finally closes. The door has remained open this entire time, and we are 2 minutes and 15 seconds into the video. 10 seconds later, the door opens again. No one is there, and it closes again. Then it opens on what appears to be another floor as the decor changes. Still, no one is there, and then it closes, and the clip ends at 2 minutes and 57
1: seconds. So we realized that describing a video on a podcast is not always ideal, but we did the best we could. Um, clearly, the video is disturbing and unsettling. Elisa's behavior seems nonsensical and disorganized.
0: Many have speculated that she was indeed being chased by someone. More occult-based theories have suggested ghosts, possession, or even the otherworldly Korean elevator game. So what are your thoughts on this video?
1: Well, the two there's two things that really stick out for me. One is that my experience with elevators are that the doors close relatively rapidly. Mm-hmm. And even if there is a door hold button or a door open button, it's almost often a placebo. Like I don't <laughs> see them working very often. And if they do, it's only like, you know, maybe a six second grace period. But the door just never closes. And it that to me, for some reason, is so bizarre. Like I don't know the workings of the Cecil elevators, but I don't understand why the door continues to stay open. So that leads me to my second point, which is, and this is, even with the the conclusion that we've been given around Elisa's story, my question is, was there someone on the other side of the wall? Mm -hmm. Because she is seen communicating with something or someone. We never see that person come into frame. Mm -hmm. Was somebody maybe Pressing the up or down button on the outside of the elevator, which caused the elevator to not leave the floor, like that's the part that really stands out to me. And then the other part is that it's really hard to watch someone in such a distress situation. It's it's very unsettling. Mm-hmm. What about you?
0: Um, for me, this looks like someone who is in a manic episode. Really. Um, the way she is acting, the all the buttons she's pressing, there it just seems very disorganized and chaotic and almost panicked sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of theories out there that, you know, she's talking to a ghost or whatever. But I think the more likely thing is that there is physically somebody down the hallway that maybe was actually completely innocent, but she deemed as being a threat because of the manic state that she was in. Or there was actually somebody that did mean her harm, that she was trying to get away from. But I think the fact that you brought up that the elevator has not moved for almost three minutes, it could have an innocent explanation such as the Cecil Hotel is 100 years old. Yeah. I don't know how well that elevator works. I don't know how well they upkeep it. It could truly be like the elevator is just not in great working order or it could be something more sinister that somebody's trying to keep her on that floor there's it's such a weird video i i don't even really know where to begin with it but for me i truly do think that she was manic at this point
1: yeah so although the uploaded video um on those videos the timestamps are blocked out It has been reported that this video is from February 1st.
0: So that's the day after she was at that bookstore, which is when she was supposed to check out and she didn't call her family. So this was a whole day after that. So So where
1: did she stay on the 31st then?
0: Yeah, unless she just stayed in her room for another night.
1: Or this is misreported. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of this case, there's so much stuff that's misreported. And this is actually probably from the 31st. Yeah. So we have found two, three, and four minute versions of this video online. So search them out, give them a look on your own.
0: So the search for Elisa was not successful. Despite Elisa's story being international news, the LAPD were unable to find
1: her. During that time, the residents of the Cecil Hotel began to complain about having low water pressure at the hotel. Some rumors have spread that the water in some rooms had turned black. A British couple, Staying at the hotel said that it tasted and smelled strange.
0: On February 19, 2013, a maintenance worker responded to the hotel's complaints by searching the four huge water tanks on the top of the hotel. Inside one of those tanks was the decaying body of 21-year-old Elisa Lamb. She had been missing for 18 days.
1: Santiago Lopez, a maintenance employee at the hotel, said he was the one who found Elisa's body in one of the four 1,000-gallon tanks on top of the hotel's roof. He stated the guests were complaining about the low water pressure, so Lopez said he took the elevator up to the 15th floor and took a staircase up to the roof. He had to first turn off the rooftop alarm, then had to climb up onto the platform where the tanks sat. Then he had to climb another ladder to get to the top of the main tank. Quote, I noticed the hatch to the main water tank was open and looked inside and saw an Asian woman lying face up in the water approximately 12 inches from the top of the tank.
0: It's worth it to mention that these water tanks will empty and fill based on how much water the hotel is using on any given day. So it's not like this tank was that full when she fell in. It could have been half empty or even less.
1: Or it could have been completely full.
0: Yeah, we don't know. So police did say that they had checked the roof during their investigation of the hotel, but did not think to look inside the tanks. Lopez said that he didn't notice anything wrong with the alarm on the door to the roof that day, nor had he heard it go off at any point during Lamb's stay. He also said that to the best of his knowledge, no other hotel guests have ever been able to access the water tanks.
1: Pedro Tovar, the Cecil Hotel's chief engineer, noted that there are four ways to get on the roof three fire escapes with alarms, and one staircase from the 14th floor. An alarm will sound if someone attempts to open the door to the roof, if it's not deactivated first, something that typically only hotel employees would be able to do. If the alarm sounds, it is audible to the front desk as well as on the 14th and 15th floors. Elisa was found in the tank floating naked with her clothes, watch, and room key in the water beside her. Her cell phone was never found. And as we mentioned, and as Elisa had posted on her Tumblr, she had lost her cell phone uh, a few nights earlier at the speakeasy.
0: On February 20th, Los Angeles health inspectors issued a do not drink the water order to the residents at the Cecil Hotel.
1: So I think we need to talk more about the water tanks. Let's do that and talk about what else we know about Elisa's death after a quick break.
0: And we are back. So, Elisa's body was found inside one of the four giant water tanks on the top of the Cecil Hotel.
1: So, there are four 1,000-gallon water tanks located on the roof of the Cecil Hotel. These water tanks provide water to the guest rooms, the hotel kitchen, and the coffee shop. The hotel's water tanks are not easy to access. They are located on the roof of the Cecil, and only hotel staff have keys to unlock the doors to the roof. Like we previously stated, there's one stairwell from the 14th floor to the roof and three outdoor fire escapes that are accessed by windows
0: so all in all the roof is not an easy place in the hotel to access the openings to these water tanks are 10 feet or three meters up and require a ladder to reach however allegedly there were no ladders around on the night that elisa would end up in the water tanks
1: So just to recap about the tanks, all four tanks are four by eight feet cylinders propped up on concrete blocks. There is no fixed access to them, and hotel workers had to use a ladder to look at the water. They are protected by heavy lids that would be difficult to replace from within, but we know Santiago Lopez says it was open, Mm -hmm. but it has been reported that the hatch was closed as well, but the key witness says it was open. So the lids on the tanks have been estimated to weigh anywhere from 20 to 40 pounds.
0: Eventually, LAPD and fire crews would drain the tank and then cut a hole in the side of it in order to recover Elisa's body. So, could Elisa have placed herself inside of the tanks and simply drown? Was it even physically possible? She was 5 feet 4 inches tall and she weighed about 115 pounds. Let's move on to the autopsy and toxicology report. Now, details on the state of elisa's body have remained vague some people say that she was found naked in the tank while others say she was found clothed they also found she had a sand-like particle on her body running forensics was obviously difficult as she had been in the water for a long time however the coroner would state that they did not find any sign of foul play or sexual assault
1: elisa's body was moderately decomposed and bloated It was mostly greenish with some marbling evident on the abdomen, and skin separation was evident. It has also been reported that due to the decomposition of her body, the blood was drained out of it. This made the toxicology report more challenging. However,
0: based on blood and organ analysis, the coroner was able to make some significant conclusions about the prescription drugs that were in her system. There were no illegal narcotics in her system. There was also no evidence of rohypnol, GHB, ketamine, or any RUFI type drugs in her system. All drugs discovered were legally prescribed to her. So let's talk about her prescriptions.
1: So as we stated, Elisa suffered from bipolar disorder. This is a list of the prescription drugs she was prescribed and in her possession that are listed on page 23 to 25 of the toxicology report. So she was prescribed Dexedrine in 10 milligram capsules, and this is a stimulant prescribed for ADHD and narcolepsy. Lamictal, 100 milligrams, which is an anticonvulsant and mood stabilizer prescribed for epilepsy and bipolar disorder. Seroquel at 25 milligrams, and this is an atypical antipsychotic prescribed for schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and major depressive disorder. She was also prescribed Effexor at 225 milligrams. Now, this is an SNRI antidepressant prescribed for major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, and social phobia. She was also prescribed Welbutrin at 300 milligrams, and this is an atypical antidepressant prescribed for depression, and people also use it for smoking cessation. Now, I want to say here that I'm not a pharmacist or a, a psychiatrist, but I think that From my research and from our research, these um, dosages that she's at are at the higher end um, for most of these medications. There were also two over-the-counter medications on the list, um, Advil and Sinutap. The American
0: Psychiatric Association recommends an antidepressant in conjunction with a mood stabilizer and antipsychotic for bipolar disorder treatment. So essentially a person would be prescribed drugs to manage their depression, and then there would be mood stabilizers to manage the manic episode. These drugs are to be taken in conjunction with one another.
1: So that's what she was prescribed and in possession of, so now we need to figure out what she had taken and what she had not taken. So according to the talk screen, which was challenging because there wasn't a lot of blood in her system, so Effexor, the antidepressant, was present in the blood in her heart and in her liver enzymes. This suggests that Elisa took this medication the day she died.
0: Wellbutrin, the other antidepressant that she was on, the metabolites were present in the blood in her heart as well as in her liver enzymes. This suggests that Elisa took this medication recently, but not on the day she died as only the metabolites are detected and not the Wellbutrin itself.
1: Seroquel, the antipsychotic and its metabolites were not detected in any quantity in the blood from Elisa's heart. This suggests Elisa had not taken this medication recently.
0: Lamictal, the mood stabilizer, was found in such small amounts in the blood from Elisa's heart that it's debatable it was even there at all. The quantity was not sufficient or inconclusive. However, Lamictal was found in trace amounts in her liver enzymes, suggesting Elisa took this medication recently but not on the day she died. Alcohol was not detected in any quantity in the blood from her heart, so Elisa did not drink any alcoholic beverages on the day she died.
1: So, as we previously stated, all illegal drugs were not um, detected in her system, which also means that there was no amphetamines detected, which means she did not take her dexedrine, which was the ADHD medication.
0: So, to summarize, Elisa took at least one antidepressant that day, She had taken her second antidepressant and mood stabilizer recently, but not the day she died. She had not taken her antipsychotic recently, and she had no alcohol or common illegal drugs in her system. The working theory is that Elisa suffered a manic episode as a result of not taking her medication properly. By only taking her antidepressants and not taking her antipsychotics and stabilizers, she may have inadvertently brought on a manic episode.
1: So I looked around the internet for um, some information around this, and I found this paper published on the National Library of Medicine, and it states the following, quote, There is a strong rationale for a cautious approach to antidepressant use in bipolar disorder. This rationale is based on the following Propositions: 1. The risk of antidepressant-induced mood cycling is high. 2. Antidepressants have not been shown to be more effective than mood stabilizers in acute bipolar depression. We therefore draw these conclusions from this interpretation of the evidence. There are significant risks of mania and long-term worsening of bipolar illness with antidepressants antidepressants should generally be reserved for severe cases of acute bipolar depression and not routinely used in mild to moderate cases.
0: The most plausible explanation is that Elisa had bipolar disorder and according to her autopsy had only taken her prescribed stimulant medications but neither of her stabilizers. This may have led to a manic episode, which can cause some bipolar sufferers to experience hallucinations or psychosis. If Elisa had a manic episode, it's possible she thought someone was following her, perhaps causing her to hide in the water tank for safety, where she drowned over time.
1: So what I find interesting about this is her not taking her meds coincides with a Tumblr post she made in San Diego on January 25th, a full six days before she vanished. And it read, Today I slept, took a long hot shower, stuffed myself silly with a $3 dinner, It has been most productive and enjoyable. I seriously have done nothing in San Diego that is out of my normal routine at home. I do what I want. After all, I like my home comforts and every now and then, I like to do something entirely impulsive and reckless like tell a guy I just met I like him. So this makes me wonder if maybe she was in that vacation mode where we're all our better selves and we feel freer. Could this maybe be why she stopped taking her medication?
0: But this explanation does not satisfy everyone. So let's talk about some more evidence, the inconsistencies in the case, and some theories after another quick break. are back. So there are some key points that we want to add to the story.
1: The LAPD believed that Elisa may have made her way out of a window and then climbed the fire escape to the roof. In fact, a former LAPD detective revealed that a police sniffer dog picked up Elisa's scent at a window which led onto a fire escape in the building.
0: In an interview with DailyMail.com, retired LAPD homicide detective Greg Kading says, Most people don't know that there was an alert. The dog did go down a hallway and alert at a window, and that window leads directly out to the fire escape. Once outside, however, the dog lost the scent. The hotel has gone on record saying an alarm would be sent to the front desk if anyone made it out onto the fire escape.
1: Bernard Diaz, who is 89 and a 32-year tenant at the Cecil, said he heard a tremendous noise the night before Lamb was reported missing on the fourth floor above him. He said there was actually flooding on the fourth floor the day after Lamb went missing. Quote, they said there was some kind of obstruction to the drain between the third and fourth floor.
0: There has been a lot of misinformation around this case, partly due to the rampant speculation online that's really muddied the waters as to what happened here. It's really easy to get bogged down in the details of any one part of this story. For example, we have found the following inconsistencies. It has been rumored that she was being stalked, but this was because she had stated that she hoped she doesn't run into a creeper at the bar. This, to me, is just hyperbole on her Tumblr account. It has also been rumored that there was and was not... ladder on the roof for her to get into the tank.
1: Yeah, the tank hatch door has been rumored to be both closed and opened when she was found. Also, it has been said to have had hinges and no hinges. This small detail would explain how heavy the door would have felt, and if Elisa would have been able to open it herself. However, Santiago Lopez clearly states that the hatch was open on the day that he found Elisa, but the question is, did was it, open it, or was it open when the police were up there, because the police had checked the roof? So if they had checked the roof, why did they not notice that the water tank hatch was open? And and the only reason he went up there was specifically to check the water tank. So that's maybe they just didn't, you know, look yeah, up that.
0: It's super easy to overlook a small detail, like maybe it's always open or I don't know, they, they don't know how the, how the water tanks at the hotel work necessarily.
1: Yeah. And so we've also heard it reported or read it reported that Elisa had never planned on going to LA. This is kind of per- pervasive in some of the mm-hmm. online communities. And this is not true. She clearly mentions in her Tumblr that she was going to LA. So we just wanted to Mention some of those things because and those are only a few examples of how much misinformation is out there on this case.
0: Probably one of the most hotly contested pieces of what I would consider misinformation is the door being alarmed or not that led up to the rooftop. Some people on certain forums, areas of the internet say, yes, this alarm was for sure deactivated or not on that night, whereas other people say for sure the alarm was on. Whereas the reality of the situation is that the Cecil Hotel has never confirmed either way if that alarm was armed that night or not. So with that, let's get into some theories about what may have happened to Elisa
1: Lam. Okay, so first off, would Elisa have died by suicide? Yes, we do think this is possible. But it seems like a strange choice to go onto the roof of the hotel to drown oneself in a giant tank of water, a water tank that she would presumably have not even known was there. Her sister also stated to authorities that Elisa had no previous attempts or known suicidal ideation. However, we have read some of her Tumblr posts, and they do include suicidal ideation. So is this a possible theory? maybe
0: but then there's also that thing where she was in the bookstore and planning ahead for like hey this book is really heavy and i have more travels to do that's not to say that she couldn't have had
1: a major shift between shopping is, and yeah, yeah like
0: a big mental shift in how she's doing that maybe she just said i've had enough although this is an incredibly strange way
1: yeah to, it's a very it's a very bizarre
0: yeah so yeah. was it foul play Did someone murder Elisa Lamb, then dispose of her body in the water tank? Sure, it's possible. However, the person would have had to carry her up a flight of stairs to the roof. Carrying a 115-pound person up a fire escape on the side of a building, this would have taken some skill and strength.
1: Yeah, unless, of course, they used the the stairs, but then they would have had to have been able to unlock the door and disarm it.
0: Yeah, and uh, carry her up a ladder... Shove her into a very I I don't know the exact dimensions on the water tank um hatch. Mm -hmm. But you know, I mean just shove somebody in through a, a relatively small hole. Yeah. Unless she willingly met someone and went to the roof with them and then was killed on the roof. However, there's no sign of blunt force trauma, stab wounds, or any indication of a violent attack. Again, this is I guess a plausible theory. And really, the whole reason why people aren't satisfied with the final conclusion is that they do believe there was foul play. Personally, we do think it's possible that someone else was involved, but who?
1: So the final theory is that Alisa died from an accidental drowning. And we want to read the final coroner report here. This is from the LA County Coroner on June 19th, 2013. And I'm going to read from it directly. The decedent died as a result of drowning. A complete autopsy examination showed no evidence of trauma, and toxicology studies did not show acute drug or alcohol intoxication. Decedent had a history of bipolar disorder for which she was prescribed medication. Toxicology studies were performed for the presence of these drugs. However, quantitation in the blood was not performed due to the limited sample availability. Therefore, interpretation is limited. Police investigation did not show evidence of foul play. A full review of the circumstances of the case and appropriate consultation do not support intent to harm oneself. The manner of death is classified as accident. And this is signed off by the Associate Deputy Medical Examiner as well as the Senior Deputy Medical Examiner of LA County.
0: So this is the working theory. Elisa had a manic episode, made her way up to the roof and climbed into a giant water tank thus drowning accidentally over a period of time
1: however this explanation has not been good enough for many leading people to believe some more outer worldly theories and we are going to go over a couple of those here
0: in classic internet fashion there's a lot of creepy pasta type stuff out there about elisa Some people believe she was being chased by a ghost or an evil spirit, maybe even a demon. They point to dark spots or shadows in the elevator video as evidence. It also appears as if Elisa was initially running from something and then is communicating with someone or something. For believers of this theory, it is all supported by the hotel's dark history. There have also been theories of spirit possession which is evidenced by her strange behaviors and physical gestures in the elevator video.
1: Others theorize that she has been a pawn in the elevator game, which we will describe here. Essentially, you enter an elevator by yourself in a building with a minimum of 10 floors. You then press certain floors. When you arrive at the floor, you choose another number to another floor, and so on and so forth. At the fifth floor, a young woman will join you. You are not to look at her or speak to her. She is not who she seems to be. You are then to press the button for the first floor, which should now take you to the 10th floor. Eventually, you will reach the 10th floor. The strange woman will try to stop you from getting off the elevator as you are now apparently walking into a whole new dimension, which apparently looks a lot like the dimension you're in. To return, you must follow another series of steps or you would be doomed to be stuck in that dimension. I mean, this is a pretty wild theory, and some of the evidence for this was promoted because her Tumblr kept on having new posts after she died, but this is easily explained by scheduled posting, which is an option on the Tumblr website.
0: So this elevator game theory is actually a game that originated in Korea and is allegedly somewhat popular there. I don't know how popular it actually is. These are just things that people say on the internet. Um, And I think a lot of why this theory even got wrapped up in this case is just because the elevator footage of Elisa is so strange that it does look like she is pushing buttons in a certain order. But we're going to leave that particular paranormal-esque theory there if all of you are interested in the more paranormal side of the theories to this case i highly highly recommend the lights out podcast episode on elisa lamb josh and joel did a wonderful job kind of encapsulating the true crime side to this as well as the paranormal theories so definitely go check out the lights out podcast so lastly There's an odd coincidence that set off even more conspiracy-type theories around the internet.
1: Like this story needed more of that.
0: Just days after Elisa's body was found, national health experts were called into the area near the hotel to investigate a deadly persistent tuberculosis outbreak that local health officials called the largest in a decade. More than 4,500 people may have been exposed to tuberculosis, and scientists linked the outbreak to a TB strain unique to LA. A test was used in the area of the Cecil Hotel. The name of that test is LAM-ELISA. This is completely fact-checked and very bizarre.
1: Yeah, I'm just not clear what this could mean for people looking into this case, other than it is just another odd coincidence or happening in this story.
0: So Elisa's parents, David and Yina Lam, filed a civil suit in September of 2013 against the Cecil Hotel for negligence, which led to the death of their daughter. This case was dismissed by a Los Angeles Superior Court judge. The judge found that Elisa's death was unforeseeable because it occurred in an area of the Cecil Hotel where guests were not allowed. The judge stated that to reach the water tank, Lamb had to go to the hotel roof, climb onto a platform, scale a 10-foot ladder along the side of the tank, push aside the 20-pound lid, and then either fall or climb into the tank. He went on to state, quote, In fact, the very nature of the water tank would make it unreasonable for Elisa to assume that she was allowed to climb in it and open the lid.
1: Yeah, I think the positive takeaway from the civil case is that it made a lot of the Cecil Hotel information around Elisa's death part of the public record. So this may have been strategic in a way by the family to create some more transparency in this case.
0: Elisa's story has inspired many TV show episodes, movies, blogs, websites, and books over the years. These projects have been produced all over the world. Recently, a TikTok post about Elisa amassed over 6 million views in just two days. So it's clear that Elisa's story is still of interest to people and feels somewhat unresolved.
1: The Cecil Hotel officially closed its doors in 2017. The same year it became an official Los Angeles landmark. A developer has proposed to rehab 261 of the existing residential units and build 30 replacement units at a nearby property. The developer also partnered up with Skid Row Housing Trust to develop and manage single-room occupancy units as affordable housing. In 2019, the developer was still in the process of securing finances and permits for the renovation project. The projected finish date for the renovation is late 2021. This, of course, was pre-pandemic, so who knows what the timeline looks like now.
0: On February 10th, 2021, Netflix will be releasing a new multi-part docu-series titled Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel.
1: Yeah, this show was created by Emmy-winning director Joe Berlinger, who created the Ted Bundy tapes as well as Paradise Lost about the West Memphis Three.
0: This is the first season for this Netflix show in a series that dismantles the mythology and mystery surrounding infamous locations in contemporary crime.
1: Yeah, we're both going to be watching this the night it comes out for sure and probably finish it Mm -hmm. that night as well. In all of the online chaos around Elisa's death, it's easy to lose sight of the humanity that this was a young woman struggling and just trying to get by in life. So we want to add some of her words before we leave this episode.
0: On November 12th, 2012, just months before her death, Elisa posted the following to her Tumblr. Today has been one of those blah days full of apathy. Really dangerous, too. I can see myself feeling suicidal, and it always scares me when I start feeling suicidal. Reflecting on meeting with old friends yesterday, it's just, grade 6 was completely foreshadowing what was to come, and I suppose I'm reliving in some rendition of it. For whatever reason, I have an inferiority complex, of which it dawned on me just sometime now, and it explains a lot. Why I behave the way I do, why I did things in my past, my motivation, my reasoning, my mask, my mannerisms, who I am. So there's my epiphany of the day. I suppose I have accepted that part of me feels inadequate. So long as I know how it is useful and know that it makes me human, and know that is why I try to empathize with people and why I feel emotions so strongly. Why rejection and betrayal cut me so deeply. The world seems to exist just to make you feel inadequate. In the universe, you are but a speck. In history, you are insignificant, anonymous person. Another person who dies because of greater forces outside of our control decides things. I guess I learned that earlier than most people. There is no changing this. It is simply reality. Sigh.
1: This brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you for joining us. Please give us a five-star review on Apple and follow us on all of our social media.
0: If you feel inclined to donate to our podcast, please do so at Pod. Our producers on this podcast are Alberta Bly, Amy's Book Reviews, Alyssa Santos, Anastasia or Anastasia, Cindy McDee. And Giraffe3000.
1: Thanks again, everyone, for your continued support and for getting us to 100,000 downloads. We really appreciate it. We'll have a new episode for you in two weeks. So until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe, gang.